All right, so Chronicles, as we know, was written to the children of Israel who were returning to Israel. They'd been in, ba- in, in bondage in Babylon for 70 years, some of it due in large part to some of the stuff we're going to see in tonight's chapter. And during that 70 years, remember, those are the days of King of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and so many other prophets that were being used mightily by the Lord. So even when they were in, in bondage for 70 years, there was still a remnant that loved God and was faithful in the midst of it. But now they're coming back to Israel, and most of those who are coming back have never been there. Even though that's where, you know, they're their faith was founded, you know, the children of Israel, that's where, again, their ancestors came from. Many of them had never even been there. So they're getting a history lesson. And so we saw in First Chronicles, the history lesson, really the life of David. And now we've been looking at the life of Solomon. And if you were here last Thursday, we saw that Solomon had just died. He ruled and reigned 40 years after his father David had reigned. Now, if you have your outline, grab it. And again, we'll see if we get through two chapters. Great. If not, it's okay. We'll get it next week. I tell the message is the heart of a servant leader. So we're going to see that Solomon dies and one of his sons takes his place. And it's not going to be uh, the relative that wanted the position, the one that wanted it when Solomon got it by the name of Jeroboam, but it's going to be another one of his sons. And so when he takes the role, we're going to see that uh, he doesn't. He could start. He he has some guidelines from his dad of things he should do, but he also had some guidelines from his dad of things he shouldn't do. We know that Solomon had a major problem with women, and he I, sadly he got caught up in idolatry. And we're going to see that sadly his son's going to fall into his footsteps a little bit. So let's take a look here again. So I tell the heart of a servant leader. Number one, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You know, godly leaders are a blessing and not a burden. We're going to see that Rehoboam is going to be challenged because Solomon at the end of his life was very burdensome. He was heavy on his people. He was taxing them into the ground. He was putting them into forced labor. And so when his son takes over, he's going to be asked by the people, hey, can you, you know, show us some grace? And, you know, can you not put us to such hard tasks? And we're going to see how he responds. But if we're truly to be servants, we should be, again, those who are a blessing, not a burden to others. Number, point number two, we'll see in verse 6 through 11, if you want to be a great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. You know, a servant, a leader is a servant in biblical, biblically. And so anybody who cannot serve should never lead. And we see that the greatest servant who ever lived was our Savior. Amen? The Bible says, again, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Number three, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So Rehoboam becomes the king. He's a young man. So he's going to run to his friends and ask them and get advice from them. Unfortunately, his friends were a bunch of other rich, spoiled brats just like him, right? And so they're all, they, they look down on everybody else as being not uh, as worthy as they are. And they're going to treat people in a way that's very ungodly. And we're going to see that example, and it's an example for us not to follow. Again, he's going to get ungodly counsel. We should never run to the world for answers because look at the world around you. Do you want to follow that pattern? Amen? The world around us is a mess. The world around us has in desperate need of the Lord. So we want to seek godly counsel, not worldly counsel. We'll see there's wisdom in the counsel of many. 
And again, those who are determined to get the answer they want will keep asking enough people until they find it. I'll have people call me and say, well, I've talked to five pastors already, and I haven't really gotten the answer I want. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to change you calling me, amen? But too often, people will just keep trying to find somebody that will tell them what they want to hear. Number four there, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, you know, we see that love and respect is not something that is demanded, but it's something that uh, is earned. And we're going to see that tonight, he's going to kind of make demands of the people. And again, that's not respect. You can't say, respect me. That doesn't work. You know, you want, if we want to earn, respect is earned. Again, it's not something that's demanded. And we also see that a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, Lord willing, if we get to chapter 11, we must obey God rather than man. The wisdom of men is foolishness to God. It doesn't matter what men think or what men say, if it's contrary to the word of God. We always are faithful to what God says. Uh, then we, in, uh, point number six there, some trust in chariots, some in horses. We're going to see the Rehoboam, just like his dad Solomon, is going to get caught up in building up a huge army. And again, there's nothing wrong with having an army as long as our ultimate faith is in the Lord. But sadly, we're going to see just like Solomon had got caught up at the end of his life, where he's going to multiply this army around him so that he feels safe. You know, and that's kind of like if, as believers, if we have enough money in the bank and everybody's healthy and we've got, you know, we've got a nice place to live and we're warm and we're fed and all those kinds of things, sometimes if everything's good, we can cease to be desperate for God and we don't ever want to cease to be desperate for God. Then have no other gods before me. We're going to see Rehoboam's going to fall into the same trap of his dad. He's going to start to allow idolatry into the country, into the land. Uh, he's going to make it convenient. Uh, Jeroboam actually does this, and, but it's in part of chapter 11. And he's the one who's going to be ruling in the north. So what we're going to see tonight is that there were 12 tribes. And remember that God had promised King David that his ancestors would rule forever, right? As long as they were faithful to the Lord. We saw that Solomon wasn't faithful, and we're going to see that 10 of those kingdoms were ripped away from him, and they're going to be ruled and reigned by somebody else, and Rehoboam's going to be in the south, and we're going to see just the battle that takes place between them, and we're going to see that the guy in the north, because he's afraid of the people going down into Jerusalem for worship, that they may never come home. And so what does he do? He sets up his own way of worship to make it convenient. And that's what people are doing in the world today. We'll get into, in depth into that as we, if we get to that text. Uh, number seven, have no other gods before me. Again, we don't worship God on our terms, but on his. And then finally, we can learn from the failures of others. We'll see how we do. Let's pick up there in verse one. So introduction again, King David died. Solomon became king. During his 40 years, he had built the temple. He had built a magnificent palace for himself. He became the wealthiest man on the planet. He was known for his great wisdom, but he also married 700 women and had 300 concubines, many of whom were not worshipers of the true and living God. And so as he, they were told, the kings were told, don't multiply gold, don't multiply wives, and don't multiply horses. And Solomon did them all. And when he brought the wives in, they brought in their idolatrous worship, and then he started setting up altars all over. So he builds the temple, which was amazing, but in a short period of time, now he's setting up all these altars all over, in the, all over the, the land of promise to worship these false gods. And so that was what Solomon did. So he multiplied gold, he multiplied chariots, he multiplied wives. He set up altars on the Mount of Olives to his wife's false god. And the kingdom 
is going to be torn away from his descendants. So it says, look at verse 31 of the previous chapter. It says, Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. And then verse 1 says, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So they're going to anoint the new king. And Rehoboam is the one who Solomon had put in place to take his place. And the people are gathering together. Now he goes to Shechem, and it's it's interesting because King Saul was publicly made king in Mizpah, and then David in Hebron, and then Solomon in Jerusalem. Now Rehoboam goes to Shechem to be made king. It's a more central place of the entire nation, so it does make some sense. It was one of the cities of refuge. If you guys were not here when we were going through that, they had cities of refuge. Back in those days, they didn't have police officers. And so like if somebody committed a crime, especially uh, were accused of murder or a, or a manslayer, it's where you get the term manslaughter, something on accident, you could run to a city of refuge. And as long as you stayed in that city of refuge, you were safe. Because what happened was every family had somebody who was an avenger. And so if somebody accidentally killed someone in my family or there's a question, I had the freedom to go and kill them as retribution for what they did to someone in my family. But if they ran to a city of refuge, then I couldn't touch them. Now, they would still could be put on trial there in a sense. They could find out, you know, if they're guilty, they could be delivered over to the, the avenger of the family. But as long as they remained in there, they were safe. And, you know, the Bible says that the word of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe, right? And, and the same is true for us. The refu- our refuge is Jesus, right? We're all guilty. We're all deserving of the avenger. But if we run to him, As long as we're in him, we're free from that judgment. And that's what took place. And so this happens, Shechem happens to be one of those cities of refuge where people all came and they're coming there to anoint the new king. And again, that would be a huge celebration. Again, Solomon has passed away and they're preparing themselves again for a new kingdom. So Rehoboam is Solomon's son, again, and the rightful heir to the throne. And he travels to Shechem as had all of Israel for the coronation as king. And while the Lord had made it clear to Solomon that due to his rebellion and, and worship of false gods, that the kingdom would be torn away, and that for this, but for the sake of David, his son would be given one tribe. And so if you have a map of Israel, the 10 northern territories, the 10 different tribes are to the north, it's called Israel. From this point forward in scripture, and we saw it previously, the bottom portion is called Judah. And that's just two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. So Rehoboam seems to believe that all of Israel is going to be his. But he's going to find out that that's not going to be the case. So Rehoboam has been raised as a child of the king, and he's, you know, feeling entitled. We're going to see some of that with him. And he's not a man who's going to take advice very clearly. And sadly, he's going to learn from some of his father's bad examples. Verse 2, so it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was in Egypt. And when he had fled from the presence of King, where he fled from the presence of King Solomon, that Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So Jeroboam had tried to make himself king when Solomon became king. And then he ran for his life because Solomon was going to hunt him down and kill him. And he was hiding in Egypt for all these years. And now that he finds out that Solomon is dead, he's going to come back into the land and try to make himself king. 
Now he is going to end up ruling over the ten northern kingdoms. And Rehoboam has the two southern kingdoms. Now it's interesting, there was a prophecy that when Jeroboam, Ahijah the prophet, appeared to him, and he tore his coat, tore his coat into 12 pieces, and he, get, he told he put 10 of them, he gathered up 10 of the pieces, told uh, Jeroboam to gather them up and told him that he would rule over 10 of the, you know, 10 of the families, right? Uh, in the nation of Israel and the other two that he would not rule over. So Solomon had gotten word of what Abijah had told Jeroboam, and so he chased him into Egypt. He fled there, and he remained there until the death of Solomon, and he's coming back into the land to claim to what he know, well, what he saw was his, even from the prophet, verse 3. And they sent for him and called him, and Jeroboam and all of Israel came and spoke to Jeroboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he has put on us, and we will serve you. So the people of Israel called for Jeroboam to come to Shechem, and all of Israel came with him as they were approaching Rehoboam, and they had concerns, and they came and said, you know, your dad put a heavy weight on us for the last 40 years. I mean, he taxed us into the ground. We know that they had this huge labor force. He built a palace for himself that took 13 years. The temple took seven, and he was constantly building things up and, again, building great monuments, right, to make them look like a great city. But in doing so, he was just causing his people to be under a heavy, heavy weight. And so when they get a new king, they think, well, maybe this guy will listen. Maybe if we go tell him, hey, look, we will serve you faithfully, but can you just please Take some of the heaviness off of us. Don't tax us into the ground. I mean, someone needs to go, go talk to Newsom, I think. But, you know, they're going to tax, you're taxing us into the ground. You're killing us. Can you please show us some grace? And so they come to him looking for grace. And you know what the good news is? When we come to our Savior, he always shows us grace. Amen? And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the world thinks the answer is, is to make you succumb to them and to force you and to you know, put heaviness upon you. But that's not our God. Again, he had texted them heavily. Again, he had all this excess in gold, excess in chariots. Again, he put, put the people to forced labor. And they were at this time looking for an opportunity to finally get out from under the burden that they felt under King Solomon. And again, Jeroboam comes as their spokesman. And they'd already been told by God through the prophet that he would have over 10 of the tribes to the north, but they did not press the issue or stir up an uprising. They trusted that God would bring that about in his perfect time. So they come to King Rehoboam and they say, can you show us some grace? Verse 5. So he said to them, come back to me after three days and the people departed. So they came and asked, can you show us some grace? Can you take some of this burden from us? It's been overwhelming for the last 40 years under your father. I mean, everything's in place. We're the richest, most wealthy country in the world. We've got the greatest army in the world. We've got everything we could possibly need. Can you show us some grace? And so he says, well, let me think about it. Give me three days and then come back and I'll give you my answer. So point number one, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Godly leaders are a blessing, not a burden to others. Let's see what kind of person 
we're going to see Rehoboam is. Point number two, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. So then King Rehoboam, verse 6, consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, how do you advise me to answer these people? So they, he, he's a new king. He's a younger man. His father has passed away. He feels the burden now as the, as the leader of God's people, the children of Israel. He's going to have 10 of the kingdoms taken from him or 10 of the tribes taken from him. And so he's seeking some counsel. Like, what should I do? How should I respond to these people? He sought counsel from wise people. The reflection of his arrogance is how he's going to see the people he rules over. Because look what he says there. Again, in verse 6, he says, How do you advise me to answer these people? And when you look at it in the original language, he's talking about like, you know, he's not talking about them with, with fondness, but he's like, tell me how I'm going to rule all these people, you know, all these people that serve under me. And see, that's not the heart of somebody who's a true servant. Somebody, again, who's a godly leader and a Christ-like example. So he goes to these same men that advised his father. Well, that didn't really work out too well, did it? I mean, it did at the beginning, but he didn't finish very well. And it says there in verse 7, And they spoke to him saying, If you are kind to these people and and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. So he gets godly advice at first from the godly men who say, Look, if you will show these guys some grace, you know, maybe they told Solomon, Solomon, enough already. Now Solomon's dead. And these godly men say, Look, show them some grace. They'll be your servants forever. They'll be faithful to you forever. If you will just take some of that burden away from them. You've got plenty of everything. But notice how Rehoboam responds. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who he had grown up with who stood before him. So here he is. There's that example. So he gets an answer he doesn't like. So he goes to talk to some more people hoping he'll get the answer he does like. So he he gets godly advice from people that counseled his father. So they're older men who've been living a while. They don't give him the answer that he wants, so he runs to his buddies, who's been hanging out while he's been the prince, while they've had everything they could ever want. And they're used to living this lifestyle of being spoiled rotten. So the elders, again, say, look, speak to them kindly, honor their request, lower their taxes, remove some of the burden. And again, servant leadership is a biblical principle. Again, if a man will not serve others, how can he ever be put in a position of leadership, especially in the body of Christ. So he gets good godly counsel, but now he's going to run to these young men who he believes will give him the advice that he really wants to hear. You know, Jesus said this in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you shall be a slave to everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and gave his life as a ransom for many. So our example isn't how the world operates. It's not how your boss treats you. It's the example we see in Jesus Christ. So he rejects the advice. He goes and gets his friends, uh, gathers them up to see what they think. He goes to his peers, all serving in government, no doubt, all probably wealthy, privileged, separated from the hardships of the people. Again, like right now, a lot of people are having a hard time paying for groceries, right? 
We're living in a time right now, if you've been to the grocery store lately, I mean, everything's doubled in price and it's difficult for a lot of the world. And some people are so detached from that that they can't even relate. And, and so this is kind of, Rehoboam's going to all his buddies. They're all very wealthy and the, he, they don't know what taxes feel like and they don't know what it's like to be at forced labor. And so when he goes to, to get their advice, he's getting advice from people who have no idea what it's like to suffer and to struggle and to go through difficulty. And sadly, because of that, the advice they're going to give him is going to be horrible. Look at verse 9 and 10. Look what it says there. It says, and he, he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer, again, this people who have spoken to me saying, listen, the yoke which your father put, lighten the yoke that your father's put upon us. So how do I answer these people? They're coming to me and saying, can you, can you cut us a break? Can you take this yoke off of us? Because it's so heavy. Then the young man who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to these people who, who have spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. Here's what he's trying to say. You thought it was heavy what my dad did? Get ready. Because the weight of my pinky is going to be heavier than my dad's whole body. With the amount of heaviness I'm going to put on you, you're going to long for the days when my dad was in charge. Boy, doesn't that sound encouraging to the crowd? They've already been overwhelmed by just, again, the taxes and overwhelmed by the weightiness and the burden, and somebody comes along and increases the burden upon them, how in the world? And, and, you know, there's a spiritual analogy to this because, you know, there are people that are parts of religions today that are trying to earn heaven. And as they try to earn heaven, they never, they never feel like they satisfy the need. They never, you know, fulfill everything that needs to take place for them to get to heaven. And sadly, what happens is, instead of finding the grace of God that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, often they continue to try harder and harder, and all the religion does is make it more and more difficult for them to ever feel like they can make it to heaven. And so they walk around just overwhelmed, and they feel that yoke upon them. I mean, primary example, and again, you know, man, I'm a straight shooter, the Catholic Church. Right? You got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. You got to say 500 Hail Marys. You got to go in the box. You got to have your first Holy Communion. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then when you die, you got to have your last rites. And there's all these things. It's anything we add to the cross of Calvary is a burden that God never put on us. Amen? He took it all upon us on the cross of Calvary. He said, it is finished. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And can you imagine if we went to God in our, in our heartache and felt the weightiness of our own sin, and he just said, well, I'm going to just make it a thousand times heavier on you. And that's what a lot of the, Islam does that. Uh, everything else is works-based salvation. All the cults make Jesus less and man more and all of them make it something that, that you do to earn it somehow. But Jesus paid the price and it is finished. Amen? And sadly, here's Rehoboam. He's, they're coming to him heartbroken and hoping that finally they have a king that will listen. Instead, he says, I'm going to make it a hundred times worse than you ever thought about it. Why? Because he wants to make people submit to him. He wants to you know, demand respect, something that can only be earned. We see in the Bible that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
An ungodly leadership esteems themselves greater than others. They're arrogant, they're belittling, they're prideful. Good and godly leadership serves and treats people with kindness, love, and respect. He's putting them in their place. And Jesus came to earth and took our place. He's trying to put them in their place, and Jesus said, I, I will take your place. I will come, you know, Muhammad said, you know, convert or die. Follow me or I'll kill you. And Jesus said, follow me because I died for you. Those are two greatly different messages. Amen? And here's Rehoboam, and he's just letting them know, look, that, that question you asked me, yeah, I'm not going to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make it worse than you've ever felt at verse 11. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on, on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, and I will chastise you with scourges. Some of your translations might say scorpions, right? So the difference between a whip and a scourge is a whip has one leather strap. A scourge is a cat of nine tails. So it has nine straps, and on those straps, if you've ever seen the passion, guys, have you ever seen the passion where Jesus is being scourged? That's a scourging. And most people would die from being scourged. It was a cat of nine tails that had bone and metal and, and glass. And when they would let it go, it would grip all over your body. When they pulled it back, it would rip your skin away. And by the third or fourth lash, your organs would, be, would start to appear. And most people bled to death and wouldn't survive. And he said, look, my dad whipped you. I'm going to scourge you. But don't you just want to like hand out flyers for this guy's reelection, right? I mean, do you want to, don't you want to, you know, put his sign on the back of your car? You know, Rehoboam, four more years of torture, right? And so Rehoboam is so filled with himself and he hasn't learned anything. And it gives us an idea where he's coming from. Because see, we're going to show grace to others if we recognize the grace that's been shown to us. Amen? When you recognize how much grace God has poured out on you, don't you want to pour out grace on others? Love God and love people, right? And as God, God so loved us that he gave, and, and because he loves us, we too should give. I think we need to be careful that we don't simply surround ourselves with people that will tell us what we want to hear. That's exactly, this bunch of his buddies are like, dude, go put a thumb on them. You'll be the most powerful king on the planet. You go tell, make sure they understand that you're in charge. You make demands of them. What an ungodly perspective. I'm going to make you go from a whip to scourges. So point number two there, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Sadly, Rehoboam had never served anybody a day of his life. And because he didn't know what it meant to be a servant, he certainly didn't know what it meant to lead. Point number three, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So now what happens? And the young men who had grown up with him, verse 10, thus you speak to the people, and to, again, your father made your yoke heavy, but make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than your waist. And now where is my father put a heavy yoke upon you? Verse 11. And then he says in verse 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had directed saying, come back to me on the third day. So he's been given this counsel by his buddies. And now the people come back in anticipation and in hope that they're going to find some grace. And instead, what happens? Verse 13, then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. Verse 15, so the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events 
was from God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he has spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shulamite, to Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. So the prophecy had come that he was going to end up with 10 of the tribes. So when they heard these words, when they heard that what Rehoboam had said, they just left. They went back to the northern kingdom and they made Jeroboam their king instead. They said, dude, your dad was horrible. If you're going to be worse, we're out. We're not going to follow you. We want nothing to do with you. And so he literally, 10 of the tribes pull away from the rest of Israel and become their own. They become called Israel. And he's only going to rule over the two tribes in the southern kingdom. See, guys, we don't serve God because we're afraid that you know, he's going to just put heavy weights on us. We serve him because he loves us, because he's redeemed us, because he's forgiven us, because he showed us so much grace. And Rehoboam's just the opposite. He's like Muhammad, follow me or die. He's like, you know, organized religions that put heavy weights on people instead of understanding that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. See, he listened again to his friends instead of listening to the Lord, instead of listening to godly counsel that was given to him. And again, Rehoboam has horrible judgment, makes horrible choices here, and not only rejected what was asked for, but he treated the people, again, he was supposed to serve with arrogance and again, bitterness and disrespect. Be careful who you receive counsel from. Be careful who you look, turn to for advice. Notice that as he's doing all this, we see any prayer, is a prayer meeting about this anywhere in here? You see him opening the word of the Lord and seeking from the Lord. Now he did get godly counsel from godly men and he disregarded it, but no prayer, no turning to the Lord. Guys, we don't make God the last resort. He should be the first one we turn to, amen? Too often it's like, I've had people say this to me, well, you know, we tried everything else. I guess we can pray. You know, like we've tried everything else. I guess prayer is the one thing we haven't done. Prayer should be the first stop, not the last resort. Amen? So no prayer, no, no, no word, rejects godly counsel, follows ungodly counsel. Who's influencing your life? Is it being popular before the world? Is it counsel you get from the ungodly? Or is it the word of God and time you spend in prayer and in fellowship? God has word and godly counsel. God is in control, and the end result, what God had prophesied again would happen is going to come to pass that 10 of the tribes are going to be ripped away from him because he was not being faithful. By the way, that's true for us. You know, God has a calling on your life, and if you're not faithful to it, God will take it from you. You know, God's not going to put you in a place where he's going to use you for his kingdom and his glory if you're going to abuse it. Eventually, God will take it from you and put it into the hands of somebody who will be faithful. So point number two, they're walking on the counsel of the ungodly. They ran to the world. They got, he got ungodly counsel. He listened to it. And now 10 of the tribes are, are taken away from him. They're going to follow after Jeroboam to the north. We're going to find out that Jeroboam uh, is, just makes some horrible mistakes as well. But his are going to be trying to make it easier on the people. There's somewhere right in the middle where we belong, right? We don't want to be in so much grace that we don't want to live holy and set apart lives. Amen. And we don't want to be so burdened by the law that we just feel, you know, we're, we got this heavy burden upon us all the time. So point number three there, point number four, excuse me, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Look at verse 16. Now, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, 
The people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. Here's what they said. We have nothing in the land of Jerusalem, in the, in the city of David. We have no inheritance there. All we have is a burden there. Everybody run back to your own houses. Everybody go back home and reside there instead because there's no blessing here. And so they're going to abandon King Rehoboam because they recognize that there's no blessing in following after this ungodly man. They're running back to Israel. They're running back to the 10 northern tribes. And Rehoboam cannot lead without people. True leaders, again, uh, true leaders are revealed by people following them. Amen? People followed Jesus because he was worthy to be followed. Amen? And people don't want to, if people don't follow, then he's not a leader. Verse 17. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. So the only thing that Rehoboam was going to rule over were the two tribes in the south. So 10 tribes to the north being led by somebody else because he was not being faithful, because he was not seeking godly counsel, because the ungodliness of his own dad, he's going to miss out on being the king over all of Israel. And so too, if we walk in open rebellion against God, we can't expect God to use us for his kingdom and his glory. I say this a lot, especially in counseling, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. You can't walk in open fellowship, rebellion against God and expect God to use you mightily. And if you're in fellowship with God, you won't live a life filled with rebellion. Well, Rehoboam is being a man of rebellion. He's being a self-centered man, a self-focused man, a man who, again, loves himself more than he loves the Lord or his people. And so he's only going to rule over those two southern kingdoms. Then it says in verse 18 and 19, it says there, Then the king Rehoboam sent to Hadoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but the children of Israel stoned him with stones and he died. So Rehoboam sends one of his guys up to Israel to collect taxes. After he told him he was going to make the taxes heavier and he was going to make everything heavier. So he sends them up to Israel where they've all fled from his leadership. And when his tax collector came, they threw rocks at him till he died. Don't do that to the IRS. Can I get him into that? But what, what's so tragic here is that Rehoboam is acting contrary to the word of God. He didn't heed godly counsel. He listens to ungodly counsel. He treats people in an ungodly way. And then he sends his guys up and he, you know, to collect taxes. And when they stone him to death, how does he respond? Look what it says. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So you know what he had to do? He had to run for his life. He had gone up north and brought his tax collectors. They all got you know, stones thrown at him until they died. He jumped on his chariot and fled back to the southern kingdom, the only place where he was going to be allowed to rule. Guys, if we are walking in open disobedience to God, we're going to end up running for our lives. Amen? If we live in a way that is dishonoring to the Lord and we... we prioritize our friend, what our friends tell us to do, or we prioritize our own comfort, or we see ourselves as greater than somebody else. I, I'm a, you know, my wife says I'm, a, I'm probably the most sentimental guy she knows, and it's true. I'm super sentimental, and little things just make me cry. They just do. And it's even more now that my son's in heaven. But like, if you put one of those videos of the like 
veterans coming home from overseas, I'm toast. Anybody, anybody else watch those besides me, right? And I was watching one the other day, and it just brought tears to my eyes, and it shows this man, he's got shutters, and he's trying to feed himself, and he can't do it. And this young man is watching, and then he comes over, and he ends up feeding this man for like 10 minutes. I'm crying the whole time. But you know what it is? We're to esteem others greater than ourselves. Amen? We're to love people more than we love ourselves. Agape is seeing someone else who is hurting and coming alongside them. Not being Rehoboam saying, I'm going, to make the, I'm going to make it harder than it's ever been. I'm going to crush you people and make you follow me. That's not our Savior. Amen? We're to love others as Christ loves us. Rehoboam has missed it completely. He could have been God's man to God's people. And instead... The kingdom's being ripped away from him for the most part because he's choosing not to represent the Lord well. And guys, if we cannot represent the Lord well, please don't tell anybody you're saved. Amen? And I'm not saying you're going to be perfect because none of us is, but my prayer would be that we would be kind and loving and gracious, that when a, in a world that is so hateful and mean and arrogant, that we would be humble and we'd be kind and we would be loving and that we would see people the way the Lord sees them. That's one of my prayers daily is, Lord, let me see people the way you see them. Let me love people the way that you love them. If we want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. So he runs for his life. And it says, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So as they're reading this, these people coming back to Jerusalem, they're getting this history lesson of what had happened there before that would end up bringing, bringing about their own captivity in Babylon for over 70 years. So this tax collector was sent out, and again, the 10 northern tribes wanted nothing to do with it. They put him to death, and Israel, the 10 northern tribes, remained in complete rebellion against the house of David because of the way that King Rehoboam approached them. Again, it's sad, but when people find out I'm a pastor, especially and I invite them to church. They go, oh, I don't want any part of church. I'm not going to church. I don't want to do it. And you, and you start talking to them and you find out why. And often it's because, often, and again, not here hopefully, but often it's because they've just been mistreated by people at church. People look down upon them. People, by the way, again, the movie on February 22nd, uh, it was during the Jesus movement, all the hippies what happens is all these hippies are looking for answers and looking in drugs and sex and alcohol and everything else under the sun. And Chuck Smith says to his daughter, I mean, these hippies, what's up with these hippies? And she's telling her, dad, you don't, you don't know how to reach our generation, dad. And he was a pastor of a church. You don't know how to reach our generation. He said, well, when you get a chance, bring home a hippie. So she brought home this guy, Lonnie Frisbee. And Lonnie Frisbee, well, you'll see it in the movie, that, that he's a man who had started witnessing to people and he was a hippie himself and God was using him mightily. And before you knew it, the church started opening the doors to hippies and making everybody feel welcome. Well, guess what? When the hippies started coming in, the people in suit and ties didn't like it very much. Because again, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And instead of seeing people as people that desperately need the Lord, we can be self-righteous and judgmental. And Lord, may we never be that way. So the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He was angry. He was going to go tax them. I'm going to show them. They can't run from me. And he ends up running for his own life. And again, when we're angry, again, we, we don't represent the Lord well. I went out and got angry and didn't made a bunch of great decisions, said nobody ever. Amen? So chapter 11. We are going to get through two chapters. 
Went Mach 2 with my hair on fire to that first one. Okay, verse 1. Now watch this. We must obey God rather than man. Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. So he doesn't get the kingdom because he's dishonored God. Instead of recognizing that he's dishonored God and repenting, he's going to mount up an army to go and take what God had taken from him. So God says no because of his current behavior. Instead of repenting, what does he do? He has heeded the counsel of these ungodly men that you should make the the weights heavy on people. He mounts up his army and he's going to put faith in his own ability to make it happen, to make things change, his own strength, then instead of trusting in the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. We need to seek the Lord first. We need to walk in faithful obedience to the Lord. Look at verse 2. But when the the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all of Israel in Judah, and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this is from this thing is from me. So Rehoboam mounts up his army and praise God, there's a godly man who is willing to approach a king who's full of himself, who's got a mighty army who's one of the wealthiest men on the planet, who's been raised in such a way, and he comes and gives him the truth. And you know what? We need more godly men and women who will not be fearful of people who are in positions of authority or people that you know, are, are arrogant or self-righteous to not come and give them the truth of God's word. Amen? We should not be afraid. And praise God for Shemaiah because he comes up and he gives him the truth and tells him, you shall not go up and fight. God was the reason the nation was divided, is what he's telling them. Look, you lost those 10 tribes, that's your fault. You lost them because your dad was worshiping false idols, because he married a thousand women, and now you're following in his footsteps with your arrogance and your self-righteousness and your unwillingness to show the people grace, and this was God who took this from you. And so sometimes when things are taken from us in our rebellion, it's the Lord who is the one who's doing it. So the man of God receives the word of God. He brings the word of God to the hard-hearted king. And miraculously, the king is going to actually listen to his counsel. Guys, here's the good news. He's been headed in the wrong direction at a fast speed. But the good news is it's never too late to repent. At least not until we get to heaven. It's not too late to repent. Amen? He could have continued to go in that direction, but praise God that somebody came and gave him godly counsel. And sometimes we'll see somebody headed so far away from the Lord that we feel like it's just too late to even give him counsel anymore. But praise God that while we can take a million steps away from God, it truly is only one step back. And our God desires that we would walk in intimate fellowship with him. And as we talked about on Sunday, we don't want to leave our first love. Amen? We want to make sure he is the priority and the passion of our lives. You know, it was was appropriate for David to fight against Absalom and later against the man of Sheba. We saw that earlier in 1 Chronicles. But God says in this instance, Rehoboam, let it go. This is not your battle to fight. I've ripped it from you because of your behavior. And see, that's why it's important that we seek the Lord when we're trying to get direction and wisdom for our lives. 
Too often, again, people think that the pastors somehow have some magic answers. They'll come and say, well, what do you think? And I'll say, well, I don't, what I think is irrelevant. Let's take a look and see what the Bible says. And too often what's happening is we find ourselves in our situation because we're living contrary to the word of God, and then we want God to bless it. And Rehoboam was living contrary to the word of God, and he wanted God to bless it. But now he gets godly counsel, and let's see how he responds. Look what it says at the end of verse 4. Therefore, they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. Now, you can write in your Bible, if that's your Bible, you can write repentance. So they obeyed the Lord and turned back. They turned around. They were headed to go fight this battle. They got godly wisdom and counsel. And instead of remaining, you know, stubborn and doing things in their flesh, they heard what the word of the Lord said. Now, the Lord had counseled them earlier with godly men, and he didn't heed what they said. He said, look, don't put weights on them. You know what? Show them kindness. They'll serve you forever. He didn't listen. But now this time, he's given godly counsel, and this time he does listen. And praise God for people who will give us godly counsel when we need to hear it. Amen? And you know what? You get godly counsel, you hang out with godly people. You spend time in the Word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time with other believers. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. It's so easy to become like the world when we spend too much time with the world. It's one of the things that social media has really done. A disservice in so many ways. Because people are looking for likes from people they've never met. They talk about how many friends they have. If they haven't been to your house for dinner, they're not your friend. They don't count. Can I get an amen to that? I have, have 1.7 million friends. No, you don't. You don't even, right? And there's this mentality where we're trying to please the world and we're trying to get affirmation from the world. And you know what? I'd rather be loved by God and hated by the world than loved by the world and hated by God. Can I get an amen to that? And so Rehoboam, praise God that at least at this point, he does listen. He's had 10 tribes ripped away from him. He wants to go out and fight the battle. A godly man, praise God for a godly man speaking to his life. You know, Rehoboam could have had him put to death, but he told him the truth anyway. And at least Rehoboam for the moment is going to listen. Now, in verse five there, in point number six, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Now, watch what he does here. And again, it's not completely wrong to do this, but we're going to see kind of where he's going to put his face. So now that he knows that the 10 nations north of him, God told him not to fight them, and they've been ripped away from him, and he has other kingdoms around him, it would be a great time for him to get on his knees and pray. It would be a great time for him to surround himself with other godly men and make sacrifices to the Lord and to honor God, right? To, to worship in the temple. But what does he do? Look what it says. So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem and Ethim and Tekoa and Beth and Zur and Soko and Adalim and Gath and Marusa and Ziph and Adoriam and Lachish and Azekah, Zorah, Ahijalan, Hebron, which are in Judah and Benjamin, fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them and stores of food and oil and wine. And in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. Now again, the civil war that he just kind of lost without even entering into it stung. And so what does he do? He fortifies his city so he's ready if the enemy attacks. These 15 cities uh, that are listed here, again, are all within those two tribes, 
down in the southern kingdom. And he put shields and spears, and he made them very strong. He sought to strengthen his kingdom, and he succeeded in an extent, yet he overall neglected. Now look, he built cities, and he put spears, right? And he put you know, chariots, and he was all mounted up. Do we see him mention prayer? Do we see him mention crying out to God? Do we see him saying, reaching out for godly counsel? And see, sometimes I think uh, when Y2K, everybody in here, if, if you're, you're, a lot of you are too young to remember it. Some, I, you know it's scary? Some of these people were not born at Y2K. Now that scares me. But do you remember how people were panicking at Y2K? There was total panic. People were storing up food and weapons and all this other stuff. There was even a very well-known pastor that told everybody to move to Idaho and uh, you know put you know and they're going to put up these storehouses of food. And uh, Rob McCoy and I, we were youth pastors in San Jose, and we had a youth retreat up at Green Valley Lake. It was a winter camp, and it was literally during. It was, we were going to be up there for Y2K from December 31st, 1999. And there were 16 churches that are supposed to come and 13 canceled at the last minute because they were afraid of Y2K. And you have people that are so overwhelmed and concerned about the world. And, 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 and like, like I said, at Y2K, this one pastor had kind of put the end to this guy because he was giving out these CDs to everybody. And he was talking about, when you go up to Idaho, we have to have a fortified Christian city. We have to mount up where we have enough food. and We need to start growing stuff. We need to do all this. I'm like, so wait a minute. So you want us to build this city with a bunch of Christians in it. And then when the starving people come for help, we should shoot them with the rifles that we have in Jesus' name? Yeah, I don't understand that. And there's this mentality that we and our peace and our trust in the things of the world. And that's what Rehoboam's doing. He's mounting up chariots and he's mounting up weapons and he's fortifying his cities and making sure they're strong. And I'm not saying that by itself isn't necessarily wrong, but where do we see him talking to the Lord in any of this? Do we see him on his knees? Is he crying out to God? And maybe you're here tonight and you're going through some tough times. And here's what I would say to you. When's the last time you shut the door and got on your knees by your bed or somewhere quiet in your house and spent time with the Lord? We want to run down to the bank and see if we can get a loan. Nothing wrong with that. But what about seeking the Lord first? Amen? And Rehoboam, he's, you know, he's got some godly counsel and he listened, praise God. And he went back and built and fortified his cities and a good king should do that, right? But where's God in any of this equation? Why is our country in the mess that it's in today? Because God is no longer in the equation of our government. Can I get an amen to that? No, but it needs to be in God's people and we can pray. If no one else is going to pray for our country, why don't we do that? Let's intercede for our, our government. Let's intercede for God's people. Let's pray for revival in our nation. Amen? But here's Rehoboam, and he's, he's... Remember, he's the king of Israel. Or was. Ten tribes were taken away. He's the king over... These are God's chosen people that walked through the Red Sea. These are God's chosen people where God you know, spoke to them from Mount Sinai. These are God's chosen people that manna came down from heaven. These are God's chosen people where they stepped in the river Jordan and the sea parted. These are God's chosen people where God gave them victory over all the giants in the land. They had victory over everyone around them. God's hand was upon them in a mighty way. And now all of a sudden, here's the guy that's in charge and he's not even looking to God at all. He's forgotten about God completely. 
Some parallels to our country. We're, not, we're nowhere near as called as Israel, but we started off as a godly nation and we honored the Lord. Even when I was in school, yeah, I'm old, but we used to, we, our Christmas programs were about Jesus in, in public school. And we, we, we prayed in public school. We had those things. And, and you know what? Look how far we've gotten away from the Lord. That's Rehoboam. He's gotten way far away from the Lord. He does kind of come back, but he's fortifying his cities. He's not crying out to God. It's not going to end well. It's going to be tragic, actually. So we see here they mount up these cities. Again, Not that part of it, not wrong. Again, it's good to be faithful with the resources God gives us. It's good for us to save money. It's good for us to do those kinds of things. But again, we shouldn't put our hope in that. Our hope's in Christ. Amen? And we should be people who spend our time on our knees seeking the Lord. So some trust in chariots and some in horses. And again, he's neglecting spiritual things. He's neglecting faith in Almighty God. We only have two points left. We're actually going to end early. How about that? So verse 13 here, have no other gods before me. Now watch this, and I'm going to share some things from 1 Kings. There's a parallel text in 1 Kings. I won't have you turn there, but I'm going to share some things. It gives a little bit more detail, but take a look here. It says, and from all their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in Israel took their stand with him, for the Levites left their command, common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving as priests to the Lord. Now, here's what happened. Let me remind you of this if you were here a few years back when we were in 1 Kings. So Jeroboam is now ruling over the ten nations in the north. But there were certain feasts where they were to go to the temple, where they were to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Feasts of gatherings, Passover, several feasts. And so his concern was if they go down and see the temple in Jerusalem, they may never come home. If they go down there and worship God down there, they may never come back. So what did he do? He made it easier to worship God. How did he do that? He went into two, in Dan and Bethel, and he built these golden calves and these false altars to these golden calves and said, hey, you don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. I mean, that's going to take weeks, horseback or on a camel, right? And it's a far, it's a great distance to go. So let me just make it real easy for you. You can just go here to Dan or here in Bethel, to, to, to spots that were convenient to travel to from the Northern Ten Kingdoms. And there you can just worship God here. You don't have to go all the way down there. I'm going to make it easy for you to come worship God. Now, guys, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, and there's only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. But we live in a world today that tries to show us easier ways to get to God. Amen? Let me show you another way. Jeroboam, again, the king, didn't want his people to leave. He was afraid he was going to lose some of his sheep, if you will. It's kind of what happens in a lot of pastors these days. What they want to do is they want to make church as, as easy as possible. They want it to have, have come at no cost, worship come at no cost. And so what do they do? They try to, hey, we got drive-through church, right? We can have church at eight minutes, man. You hit in your car in the drive-through, we'll pray for you, we'll give you, a, you know, we'll splash some holy water on you, and you can drive off and go to the football game, right? I mean, People will try to come up with gimmicks or worldly strategies to get people to stay and draw more people. 
uh, people could become territorial. He didn't want to lose people down to the other, you know, going down to the temple. He's afraid they wouldn't come back. And I have pastors I know that, especially our church in Santa Cruz, as it got large, I'd have guys call me like, you're stealing our sheep because they're going to your church now. And I would always tell them, if you feed them good grass, they'll never leave. Can I get an amen to that? It's amazing how sheep don't leave if they get fed. Amen? But I've never felt that way. If somebody leaves here to go to another church and they feel, we're all one church. Can I get an amen? We all belong to the same church. We're not about building up Calvary Chapel, Canal Valley. We want to build the kingdom of God. But here's, here's Jeroboam. He's panicking like, dude, have you seen the temple? Dude, it rocks. And you know, it's the most amazing building on this planet. And God's hands upon and God's presence is there. If they go down and check that out, they may not ever come back. Let's build them another God. Why is it always golden calves? Dude, you escaped from Egypt and the golden calves in Egypt. How'd that work out? They prayed to golden calves, plagues came, amen? Your God opened the Red Sea. They all did the dead man float. Can I get an amen to that, right? And yet you want, and then when he's on, on, on Mount Sinai, what did they make at the bottom of Mount Sinai after over 40, 40 not 40 years, 40 days? What did they build? What did they make? A golden calf. And Aaron said, yeah, we just threw gold in there. It just popped out of there. So much of nonsense. And here they are making more golden calves. But you know, we have golden calves today, and we call it our career or our bank account. Or our hobby, or our money, or a relationship, or something else. We're trying to satisfy what only God can satisfy. Amen? And it's so tragic that Jeroboam, instead of saying, yeah, that's what you should do. Go and worship the true and living God in the way he told you to worship. Again... He's afraid that the people are going to leave and never come back. Guys, we don't operate in fear. We operate in faith. Amen? And here are the gods that you brought out of Egypt, and now you're going to worship them. You know, Jeroboam was biblically ignorant. Where did he hide? Remember, where did he hide? I told you at the beginning, this is a, if you were paying attention class, where was he hiding until Solomon died? Where was he hiding? In Egypt. And so he's been hanging out in Egypt long enough, and he's seen them worship golden calves. So now he sets up golden calves. By the way, if you go to Israel with us, in Dan, they still have the exact spot where those golden calves were worshipped. And, we go te- and I go there, and I teach this chapter right here, uh, actually out of Kings, and we teach the chapter about them worshipping golden calves because it's a closer drive to the house. <laughs> right? I mean, going all the way down there, that takes a long time. A lot of times, we'll, we'll, we don't want to drive a distance to find a church where the Word of God's being taught because something's closer to our house. I'll tell you what, I'd much rather drive a distance and get fed right than to eat garbage. Can I get an amen to that? So Aaron and the golden calves, the Egyptian gods, right? And Moses broke the Ten Commandments when he came down, all of them, because they were worshiping golden calves. And there's nothing new under the sun. Jeroboam's setting up golden calves again. And don't be surprised when the world continues to fall into the same trap over and over and over again. You know, Bethel means house of God. And in Bethel, he had golden calves. In Dan, golden calves. Total rebellion against what God had commanded them to do. And it's so tragic. And what happened was the people began to worship the false idols. And then all of a sudden, they started popping up false idols everywhere. And before you know it, 
a vast majority of the children of Israel were not going to Jerusalem at all. They were not going down to worship the true and living God at all. And they're all going to end up in Babylonian captivity. And, they're being, and the people that are coming back from Babylonian captivity are being read this very chapter right here. Lord, help us to never lose sight of the true and living God. Amen? He was leading people into idolatry. And that still happens today. Guys, we don't need to burn incense or wear special garments or pray to saints or worship Mary or do penance or pray with vain repetition. None of that's in the Bible. Amen? That's why we need to know what the Bible says so we don't fall for things that are not in the Bible. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? He alone. None of that's in the Scripture. Adding sacraments. It's It's nauseating. We must be born again. Salvation through Christ alone is a religion. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And again, we must not take our eyes off of the Lord. We must not compromise God's word. And that's exactly what was taking place. It is so tragic. So Rehoboam wanted to put it, crush everybody, and Jeroboam wants them all worshiping idols. And we wonder why they all got carted off into Babylon, Right? The guy down south wants to crush everybody and put them under heavy bondage. And the guy up north is afraid they'll leave, so he sets up golden calves. And Solomon had had a thousand women and had had altars of false gods everywhere. And gee, shocker. And so that's why we shouldn't be surprised that the United States is nowhere. As we read through Revelation, tell me if you see the United States in there anywhere. I wouldn't be surprised if we see, I mean, greater nations than us have fallen. Amen. My prayers that doesn't happen. May we repent. That's my heart. Lord's will be done. So that says there again, in, so in verse 17, he said there, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah, made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Uh, let me go back up there. I, I, I skipped over a few verses. So it does say there that, that the Levites would not remain. Now, Look at verse 15. So he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the, for the demons and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set their heart to seek God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord God of their fathers. Here's what happens. So he sets up, notice it says demons in there. Did you, did you catch that? Did you go right by that real quick? He said, do you know that a lot of people believe behind every idol, behind every idol is a demon? something demonic that's being worshipped when you worship the idol. And what he's saying is, look, they set up all these false idols. It was all demonic. It was all ungodly. So Jeroboam up north had been given 10 tribes because Rehoboam had, had been taxing the people. Now Jeroboam's going to have it, a lot of it ripped away from him because here's what happens. All the Levites and priests, what do they do? They intercede on behalf of the people with God. Amen? And they intercede with, with God for the people. So they're up there and they look around and they see a lot of this fall, these false gods being set up and they see these golden calves being set up and they're like, yeah, I'm not doing this. So what do they do? They go back down to Jerusalem and they serve in the temple to the true and living God. And so what happens is Jeroboam sets up something that's more convenient, something that's idolatrous. You know what God does? He takes his hand completely off of it, right? God's not going to honor that. And the people that do know the Lord run away. And they run back down to Jerusalem. So they were chased out of town by the taxes and they're brought back by the worship of the true and living God. Amen? 
But, the, but see, the people of God will not stand for the worship of false gods. Amen? These, these Levites, they're like, we're not doing that. I'm not, I don't care. I'm not doing that. I'm out. I refuse. I'm going to stand for the true and living God no matter what the government says, no matter what the king says, no matter what uh, you know, attacks I may face. I'm going to stand up for the truth. And they literally fled and ran back down to Jerusalem. And God eventually is just going to take it all away. It's going to just take them all into captivity. Now, do you think as they're reading all this, they might have some lessons learned as they're moving back into Jerusalem? So what happened? Yeah, we don't want to do that again. Amen? Notice then he says in verse 16, And after the Levites left, those from all the tribes of Israel, such as set your heart to seek God, came to Jerusalem and sacrificed to the Lord God of their fathers. See, they knew the only place they could truly make sacrifice was in Jerusalem, the place that God had set up where God's presence was. And that is a picture for us, that the only way for he- to heaven for us is through the cross of Calvary. Amen? Jesus Christ alone is our intercessor. There's no other hope. There's no other answer. There's no other way to the truth but through him. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. So here's what happened. God blessed the nation. Now, he didn't bless the nation because he built great, great fortified cities. See, when he built the great fortified cities, that was fine, but we see no mention of God. You know what happened? When the worship of the true and living God remained in Jerusalem and the people came back to worship the true and living God, that's when God blessed it. Amen? That's something we need to hear in our country. Amen? If we want God's blessing upon this country, we need to be people who worship the true and living God in spirit and in truth. Amen? And we cannot shake our fists to God and walk in intimate fellowship with Him at the same time. Last point, learn from the failure of others. Now watch what happens. Then Rehoboam took for himself his wife Mahalath, the daughter of Jareth, the son of David, and of Abahalel, the daughter of Elah, the son of Jesse. And she bore to him children, Jehu, Shemari, and Zaham. After he took Makah, the granddaughter of Absalom, and she bore him Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Zel. So what is Rehoboam doing? What's he doing? He's marrying a bunch of women. Where did he learn this? Solomon, his dad. Amen? So look, he saw what his dad did. He saw what some of the consequences for what his dad did, and yet he does it anyway. And the sad part is, experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be mine. I can see what someone else does and go, that's probably a bad idea. I see the train wreck that took place. I don't want that. Can I get an amen? And sadly, he doesn't learn from it. Verse 21, now Rehoboam loved Makai, the the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives. Now there's something wrong with that whole sentence, amen? When you have a favorite wife, that's a problem. Amen. I have a favorite wife because I only got one. Can I get an amen to that? If favorite wives his con- and his concubines. Where did he learn that? From his dad. And notice what it says here. He took 18 wives and 60 concubines and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. He's got 88 kids, 60 concubines, which are basically wives without the stature, and 18 wives. He's got 78 women. At least he's cut back from his dad who had 1,000, right? But do we see that 
His dad set a horrible example for his son. His son didn't learn from it. His son's following it. And look, we, we want to follow godly examples, but we want to be careful not to follow the wrong examples. And then it says in verse 22, And Rehoboam appointed Abijah the son of Makkah as chief to be leader among his brothers, for he intended him to be king. So Rehoboam chooses one of his sons to be the king after he dies. And he dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin to every fortified city. And he gave them provisions in abundance. And he also sought many wives for them. Great. Thanks, bro. So not only, so not only did he follow the wrong example, now he's seeking many wives for his children because he followed his dad's ungodly example. Now, he, now, again, in the middle of all of this, this is the guy that's ruling and reigning over God's people. And the other guy that's ruling and reigning over the rest of them has golden calf worship. And you thought it was bad in California. Amen? But look what's happening when we get our eyes off of the Lord. It doesn't take long, right? You, one little compromise leads to another little compromise. And before you know it, having many wives is what everybody does. Before you know it, worshiping golden calves is what everybody does. Not worshiping the true and living God becomes the way of life. It's so tragic. So in closing, the heart of a servant leader, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Godly leaders are a blessing, not a burden. Somebody who's leading someone spiritually should be a blessing to them, not a burden to them. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. And those who are determined to get what they want will continue to seek somebody to give them the answer that they want. Guys, everything should be built on this book right here. Amen? This should be the foundation for all counsel that we get. Always check, even counsel from the most godly people you might know, always check it against the Word of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, getting angry is never going to produce something that's honoring to the Lord. Love and respect are not demanded. They are earned, and a soft answer turns away wrath. We must obey God rather than man. So we don't want to listen to the counsel of men when it's contrary to the Word of God. I don't care if 500 people tell you to do it. If it contradicts the Word of God, the answer is don't do it. Amen? Well, everybody else is sleeping around. Everybody else is shacking up. Everybody else is doing this. Everybody else. Doesn't matter what the rest of the world's doing. What does the Word of God say? Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Again, don't put your faith in your bank account or anything you can lose. Put your faith in Christ alone. Make Him the priority of your life. Have no other gods before Him. Again, for them, it became golden calves. But for us, it can be our career, it can be anything else that we make, our, our wealth, whatever it might be that we make more important than God, and learn from the failure of others. May we learn from Rehoboam and Jeroboam that this is not how to lead anybody, amen? That we won't, don't want to multiply wives and we don't want to worship false gods. We want to be faithful to the Word of God and what God has called us to do. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, we thank you for the examples we see in Scripture tonight. And Lord, they're not good examples, but they're examples that we can learn from. And Lord, I pray for all of us. If we've allowed other things to become more important than you in any way, those two can become idols, just like the golden calves. And may we also not be self-righteous and arrogant as Rehoboam was with his own people. As he looked to put heavy weights on people. May we love and serve and care for people. May we be an example of you. May, may we live in such a way that the people see that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. 
So Lord, we, we know that all this takes place as soon as we take our eyes off of you. Lord, may we keep our eyes on you. May we spend time in your word daily. May we be people of prayer. May you be the first one we turn to, not the last resort in the difficult times. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. You are a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.